Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast by and for trial lawyers looking for better ways to serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Hello, everyone. This is John Simon. I'm Eric Veith. And we're here today to talk about Vordire. And we're going to do a couple, maybe four or five uh, sessions on it. And uh, what we're going to do to start out is we're going to talk about the basic goals and objectives of Vordire. It's certainly near the top in terms of the importance of, uh, of you know, the important, most important part of the trial. There are studies that claim 80 to 90% of jurors make up their mind after opening. I'm not sure whether that's true or not, but I think a lot of jurors may make up their mind before they even come into the courtroom. So anyway, what is the purpose of Vordire? Well, I think the main purpose is to discover bias or prejudice in order to select a fair or impartial jury. And I think that's a statement from the case law in Missouri, to discover bias or prejudice in order to select a fair and impartial jury. What does that mean to me? If you're handling a personal injury case, there's a significant percentage of people who don't like personal injury suits, and they'll be very reluctant to give any award to your client, no matter what the law or the evidence is. And that's really what what you're faced with representing plaintiffs in a personal injury case. So I think the most important goal of Vordire is to identify who those people are and do your best to get them off of your jury or your panel. It seems so easy in concept, right? Make sure that people all can keep an open mind and follow the law. It reminds me of a quote I was listening to Freakonomics a couple weeks ago. And Stephen Dubner was interviewing Daniel Kahneman, the, the famous behavioral economist. He said, Danny, why did you win the Nobel Prize for just saying things that your grandma already knew? And it was, of course, a, you know, a funny line. This reminds me of that. Just make sure that people keep an open mind, follow the law, and a podcast, right? It, well, the devil's in the details. This is why we're having four or five sessions on this. Yeah, and there are other things, too. In addition to identifying bad jurors and trying to get them off, A second goal, I think, would be to uh, introduce or educate the jurors on the issues in your case, both good issues, both bad issues, and that's something that needs to be done. The third thing, Vordire is an opportunity to establish credibility with your potential jurors, to build rapport with them, to show the jurors that you and your clients are likable, respectable, credible, polite, willing to listen to them. So I think those are the or the three goals, identify bad jurors and get them off, introduce or educate jurors on on issues in your case, good, bad, and otherwise, and finally, establish your credibility with the uh, group. Just to make sure, in case someone tunes in who's not a lawyer, when we say bad juror, we're not talking about bad people or unfair people, but just people are tuned differently. They have different life experiences, and some of them would have a difficult time listening to a particular case and keeping an open mind to it. So that's who we're referring to. That's a great point, Eric, because it's not just when we say discover biases or prejudices, I would add to this, it's to discover hidden biases and prejudices. Every one of us, me, you, everybody, you know, we've got strong feelings about one thing or another. We weren't all born yesterday. We don't walk through the door of a courtroom, you know, with a clean slate. Everybody's got a past. Everybody has been through different issues. And people, as a result, may have some very strong feelings about things that you're going to present in your case. And unless you try to address that and find out what those are, you may have somebody on your panel that no matter what the evidence is, no matter how they're they're instructed, they're just not going to find for you in the case. We do a lot of Missouri cases. I'm looking at statute 494.470, challenges for cause. One of the bases 
for striking a juror would be someone who has formed or expressed an opinion concerning the matter that may influence the judgment of such person. And it struck me recently, formed or expressed, and that's kind of the trick that we have to overcome. Some people form an opinion, but they don't express it, or they don't express it easily. So you have to get beneath the surface, and that's, that's the challenge of this. People don't like talking. It's really hard to speak in public. They're being pulled away from their families, from their jobs, to sit in a courtroom and be asked questions by somebody they never met in front of people that they've never met. It's a pretty intimidating situation, and you got to keep that in mind. You have to make it easy for people to talk, figure out ways to get them to open up, and let them know how important the process is. I think in the beginning, you need to do a good job of letting them know that their answers are going to be respected. There's no right and wrong answer to anything. We're here to listen, and it's the truth. I mean, the the most important thing for me in that room during Vore Dyer is for me to listen to every single word and every, that they say, and every, I want to hear everything they want to say about all of these issues. And I've had so many situations where there might be one person on the panel, one or two or three or more, who, who just don't raise their hand in response to any question. They're quiet. They don't say anything. And I've had a bunch of situations where by hour four in the afternoon, finally they open up and you find out things that just knock you off your feet, some good, some bad. But the big challenge in Vordire is to really get people to open up. They don't want to do that. You stated the, the goals, and those are good general goals. It seems to me that this is probably one of the most taxing things a lawyer can do is go through this because not only are you listening, you need to watch too because there's some body language. Someone might wince at something and you'll notice that. And maybe that'll provoke you to ask a follow-up question. I believe that uh, you've said in, in other contexts, you can't go in by yourself. You got to have people taking notes for you, helping to observe, to understand what's really going on in that big place. That's a great point. Again, when I do a voir dire, I don't have a pen or pencil in my hand. I don't have a notepad because it's a conversation. It's not uh, an interrogation. You really can't have a conversation and listen when you're trying to write down what somebody's saying. So what we do in the office, we'll have three, four, maybe five people, and, and they'll, they'll take notes. I have other lawyers in the office. We, I've done it too sometimes when somebody else is doing the voir dire where another lawyer will actually take the notes and handle the, the legal arguments at the end of the voir dire, and it really frees up the attorney who is doing the questioning to, to be more engaged and involved with the panel to actually listen. Uh, so that is that is just so important to, to listen to what they have to say. The other thing, too, is we, we talk about some issues in, in the case. I, I would say this. You are limited. I mean, no, you're not going to do a voir dire for multiple days in, in the vast, vast, vast majority of cases. But I would say don't try to tackle too many issues. Pick a handful of issues, four, five, six issues, and handle those issues comprehensively and thoroughly rather than trying to, to, to cover 20 or 30 different things and just shoot through them. And you may have a case where, you know, your client committed a felony of some type, maybe spent some time in jail. You may have a case where you're asking for money for a client who's already made tons of money, and the jury might think they don't need the money. These are things that you need to address up front with the panel and, and just get them to talk about it. A, a little while back, a couple years ago, we represented a very well-known professional football player who was who was injured. One of the issues was he was toward the end of his career, but the, but uh, you know, great guy, but had made made a ton of money, and everybody in the room knew who he was pretty much and knew how successful he was. You're asking the jury at the end of the day 
to award a significant amount of money for injuries when, you know, they pretty much know they doesn't need the money. And it's not a question of need. It's a question of following the law. And that was, you know, one issue that took up about half of the voir dire. We went, we covered that issue literally for two hours. And I really started it out with, you know, who here thinks professional athletes make too much money? I just wanted to get it out in the open, get everybody talking about it. And it was wonderful. I said very little and we had an hour-long discussion in the group, you know, with two, two sides, open discussion about this. And it really allowed me as a listener to see who was thinking what. But more importantly, the, the people who didn't have a problem with it were making some really good arguments for us. And, and so by, by the end of the voir dire, we had a really good feel for who was thinking what. It really couldn't have gone better. It strikes me that we're living in a culture right now where expressing opinions can sometimes cause everybody to get twitchy in the room and people butt heads politically, religiously, and in many other places. But in this courtroom, your job as an attorney is to let people know it's okay, that we're not going to be judgmental, and go ahead and express those opinions. You you might not think people should make more money if they made money, but it's okay, and we really want to hear from you. And we're not here to judge. We're here to listen. So it's almost like you're paving the way for the openness in the, in, the, in the venue. Here's what I would suggest. Make a list of the five or six or three or four worst things in your case, just the worst fact, no matter what it is. You got a client that's not likable. You got a client that committed a felony. They weren't wearing their seatbelt. They didn't read the instructions. Uh, they didn't follow up with the doctor. And lay these out. I handled a case where it was uh, two, two married women and it was a product liability case, and that had absolutely zero to do with the issues in the case. The issues were with the product effective and the cause of injury, so on and so forth. Yet that was an issue that was a concern for me. And you got to make it front and center. You got to lay it out. Laying it out is the easy part. Getting people to t- talk to you about it and, and being honest about their views is another issue. You know, and- because no, nobody wants to say that they're, they're biased or they're unfair or anything like that. And you've got to go there for those difficult issues. You, you can imagine, let's say you had two clients who are gay and you did not address that issue. What if there's three or four people that have a lot of trouble with that and then you go home after losing the case? I mean, it's, it's, all you got to do is like the A-B comparison. And you, you'd kick yourself, right? You, yeah, you, you have, have to, to go there. Right. You have, to, you have to think about the, and you know what these issues are. You've been dealing with the case for, for months, maybe years, and you really need to be up front, most important thing is get them talking, get them talking, get them talking, and lay these issues out. Let them know why you're worried. Let them know you're losing sleep about it. You want to talk to them about it. How do they feel? What do they think about that? I'll give you another example. I was involved in a trial a few years back, and it was a, um, a chemical exposure case. And our client, one of our clients, had a felony conviction. I think it was for robbery and spent some time in a penitentiary. And that was many, many years before, 10, 15 years before. And I was trying the case with another attorney, a really good lawyer, good friend of mine. And we tried to keep it out. It wasn't, it, the judge wasn't going to keep it out. It was coming in. Armed robbery, taking a gun and putting in somebody's face and robbing them, that, that's a big deal. And that was a big, big concern for us. And I'll never forget how he handled it in the voir dire. I thought it was very interesting approach and extremely effective. He basically told the panel, look, this case is about whether this chemical caused cancer to our client. And and he said, I want to tell you that our client has felony conviction. He's a convicted felon. He went to prison, served his time. 
And I want to, I want to know if anybody in here, anybody in this room feels that that's going to, does it have anything to do with, with the decision you need to make in this case about whether this chemical caused this cancer, the, the cancer? A bunch of hands went up, you know, a couple of people were kind of looked like they were on the fence a little bit, but ultimately everybody said, nah, you know what? served his time and it wouldn't cloud my judgment or wouldn't affect my decision in the case. And then the next thing he said was, would it, he picked one woman out in the panel and said, would it depend on what the felony conviction was for? And this woman said, well, no, but she didn't say it in a very convincing way. And he followed up and said, well, what if it was a child molestation? And the whole room gasped. I mean, it was, obviously, if it was child molestation, this case is, is done. You know, we're, we, we can pack our bags and walk out the door. And he came back real quickly and said, well, no, 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 just armed robbery. <laughs> so, and everybody, again, everybody laughed. But again, it really took the sting out of it being armed robbery, I guess. But, you know, it's the old, you know, anchoring thing. Right. In any event, you need to give some thought to how you were going to handle the tough issues, the tough evidence in your case. I've had product liability cases where my client wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Well, guess what? If it's a three-hour vor dire, an hour is spent on the seatbelt issue. And another thing, too, and we can talk, we'll talk about this a little, a little bit later in a, in a later session, but you can use the bad issues in your case really to help get people off. I mean, you want to, I mean, you want to get them off. If, the, if that issue is going to bias them against your client, you need to find that out. But there are a lot of ways you can take the worst issue and not just educate people on it, but also get people off. I mean, if they do have very hard feelings about it, you want to get them off. Maybe a, a new lawsuit, a, a newly graduated lawyer from law school might think, well, why would I want to talk about the bad parts of my case? And I think, number one, it's credibility, right? You know, it, it shows that you're willing to look at the bad parts and the good parts. But also, these are very smart people. And when you're talking about 50 people or more, there's a crowdsourcing going on. Somebody in there is going to spot the thing that you're not saying, and they're going to, they're going to hold it against you. That you, Hey, wait a minute, you didn't disclose it. You know, later in trial, you didn't talk about that part of it. Uh, so you, you don't have a choice, right? It, it might seem like you have a choice, hide, the, hide the, bar, the bad parts. You don't have a choice. No, and I just, you know, confront it. Lay it out. Be yourself. When, when all the, the stuff with the... You know, the inflammatory anti-immigration stuff was going on. I had a case, and it was a, a young girl from Palestine who it was she passed. It was a wrongful death case. And, and they were Palestinian immigrants and been in this country for, you know, a very short period of time. And I was trying this case in a fairly conservative venue, and that was the issue. And a matter of fact, in that case, I said, when this case came into my office two years ago, and this family— this immigrant family came into my office. They were a Muslim family from Palestine. And I said, when they came into my office, I, I thought they had a good case. And I almost didn't take it because of who they were and where they were from. And, and I said, ladies and gentlemen, I, I am now ashamed of myself that I thought that, and I brought that issue out. I brought it front and center. And does that affect anybody? Does that bother anybody? How do you feel about that? And I kind of flipped the tables a little bit and talked about how, what if you were in a different country? Before I, I, I brought that issue up, I asked the jurors, what if you had a case? And it, was, and it was one of the most important events in your life. 
and you had to bring that case in a courtroom in a different country where people were different and spoke differently and dressed differently and were of a different religion. And you walked into the courtroom and the people who were going to decide the case were different from you. And the judge was different from you. And everybody in the room was different from you. Would you have any concerns about whether or not you could get, you know, justice in that case? And we talked about that. And, you know, that became a 20, 30 minute discussion with the panel and it wasn't until after I raised that issue then I introduced my clients after that. But again, that was, that was a big issue, I thought, in the case. And that was a significant portion about what we discussed in Vordire. And actually, I, I asked for, in that case for a commitment from everybody in the room that not only would they not allow that to enter into their decision-making in the case, but if they got on the jury and were, you know, if they're selected and went back to the jury room, and if anybody, anybody suggested that during the deliberations, I, I had everybody promise that they would raise their hand and send a note to the judge and, and, or else, you know, say, this is not what we're deciding the case on. It's not following the law. So there's a danger of not bringing up the things that you're, you're nervous about. There's probably a danger about getting too excited about your own case in Vardauer. Uh, it seems to me that if you get people getting too rah-rah that your opponent's going to mark them and try to exclude them. I think part of that too is, is it's an advantage of going first because we get to, I, I call it inoculating the jurors against that. For instance, uh, a, a lot of, uh, m- most often in my cases, it's a pretty serious catastrophic injury and anybody with a beating heart is going to feel some sympathy and empathy for my client. And I get that. I understand that. And they should. Uh, I would be surprised if anybody in the room didn't empathize you know, or sympathize with my client. But if I don't address that, it leaves a great, it leaves a big opportunity for, you know, my opponent, you know, the, the defense attorney to use that to, to get people off. And, and so you, you got to, you know, you really have to do a good job of that, of understanding what those issues are that are positive for you. And number one, not overstating them or overemphasizing them because you really, you know, you don't need to. But, but I think more importantly, you need to inoculate the jurors. And I'll give you an example of how I, I typically would do that is, you know, I compare sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is feeling sorry for somebody. Empathy is walking in somebody's shoes, trying to understand what they or their family have been through. Sympathy is not what we want to de- them to decide the case on. Empathy is okay. And, and that's what we talk about. We talk about empathy. We talk about sympathy and obviously, you want to tell the jury panel, you're not here for sympathy. Your client, the family, has gotten all the sympathy they will ever need for the rest of their lives. They're not here for sympathy. They're not asking you for sympathy. They don't want you to, to have sympathy playing any role whatsoever in the case. They want a fair and just verdict in the case. And I, I get a commitment. I get a commitment from everybody in the room. I have them raise their hand. And then I'll, I'll, I'll go one step beyond that most, most of the time and say, look, you've all agreed that you will not allow sympathy to affect your judgment or your decision in this case. And everybody has promised that, and you're all under oath. And then I'll go one step further and say, now, if somebody else were to ask you this after I sit down, if, if Mr. Defense Attorney gets up and asks you the same thing, I assume your answer is going to be the same. And if he changes the question and asks it in a different way, your answer is going to be the same. Everybody okay with that? So I've learned that the hard way early on as a young lawyer 
I would go through Vordire and think I had some really good jurors in you know in the in the in the first part of the panel and then I'd sit down and and a very good skilled defense lawyer would get all of them off for sympathy. So, you know, you need to be aware of that. Both both issues, Eric, you're right. The the bad issues for you, front and center, let's talk about them. On the good issues, there's going to be a time for that, right? There's going to be evidence. They'll get to hear the the facts. And that's when they can think about what's right and fair and and do their job, but you don't need to win your case. Another issue is damages for pain and suffering, right? And some people, I think a significant portion of people have have some uh, hesitation. You know, giving money, it's kind of a, a foreign concept to most lay people to award money for pain and suffering. And I always bring that up in Vordire because of that. I know it's an issue that people have strong feelings about. And so one of the things that I do in Vordire, I really want to I want to at least bring up the, the, the damages, the amount, the significance of the damages in the case. So at the end of the day, at the end of the case, when we ask for an amount, they're not shocked by what they hear. And what I'll do is ask if anybody thinks there should be a limit or a cap on a certain type of damages, for instance, pain and suffering. And there will always be, there's always been a group of people who say, yes, I think there should be a cap. And I get them talking about it. It's not me talking. I get them talking about it. I ask them why. Why do you say that? What do you base that on? Why do you think that way? Tell me more about that. And invariably, every time I brought it up, somebody will throw out a number. And it's a big number. And they'll say, well, you know, you can't get crazy like $100 million or whatever it is. And almost always that number is way, way more than anything I was thinking about asking in the case. And my next question as a follow-up is, could you conceive of a situation or a set of circumstances where you would consider awarding $100 million, right? And so it's not me bringing it up. It's me asking a good, tough question, uh, actually a question that's unfavorable for me. So anybody would like to cap damages for my client's case, it will lead to, if you get people talking and, and get them to open up, all of those things are going to come out. You don't need to argue your case in front of that jury, that panel. Half of the people, they're going to do that for you. They will have that conversation if you, if you narrate it and, and let, that, let it occur. This is a good reminder that when you take a case, that's, that's maybe something you should be thinking about. What would, what would a group of 50 jurors think about when they're talking about these issues, the, the pimples of the case, the good parts of the case? That's maybe what you should be thinking about when you take your case. Or yeah, not. and I, I think, like I said, it's, it's when, when you say argue your case, it's not you arguing the case. It's you asking general open-ended questions and phrase the questions such that those, those issues are going to come up. Whether, you know, maybe there's some drinking involved in your case. I had a case with, uh, it was a, an automotive product case with a post-collision fire, and I represented a, a young, young boy who had burned to death in the, in the vehicle. He wasn't driving, but the, the, the young kid who was driving had something to drink. He was drinking, and that was a big issue. And, boy, that was, I mean, that was front and center. That was front and center. And why would you ever hide from something like that? You know, and here's, here's the thing to think about this. Your job, the, the, one of the third thing we talked about is, is identifying those jurors who are bad for you and trying to get them off, right? Get them off for a cause. And the best way to do that a lot of times are the bad issues in your case. For instance, if, if there is drinking involved, well, that doesn't preclude you from bringing the case and recovering, right? It may have something to do on liability, but you could ask a question and say, who here when determining damages in the case, thinks that that drinking would affect their judgment. 
well, the drinking has nothing to do with the damages. In the, so, in other words, use those bad facts to get the people, you know, get people off. Whether it's, it's uh, drinking, whether it's a prior conviction, uh, whether it's not wearing your seatbelt, find out what people think about that. And, and it may lead you to, to get to the point where they're saying, well, you know, I think, I think it's, it's, it's a big enough problem for me that it might affect my decision in, in the case. What do you do, if anything, about the thought that the jurors are trying to get into your head and figure out what you're doing as far as excluding some jurors from the case? I'm open and honest about it. I tell them what's going on. I say, hey, look, we're trying to get people off who have strong feelings or strong opinions. An example I use sometimes is, is the type of case I wouldn't be a good juror on, okay? If it's a case against an insurance company, for instance, you know, me, I probably would be the wrong juror, and I'd admit it, faith, you know, absolutely, and say, I probably would be better off on another case. I've got very strong feelings about that based on my past, my experience, and I wouldn't be a good juror in that case. Nobody's perfect for every case, and it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you can't be fair. It just means that you have very strong feelings about certain things based on who you are, where you're from, how you grew up, you know, your life experience. And you need to let the jurors know that's okay. It's okay for you to have strong feelings. You know, no, nobody's asking you to change who you are once you walk through the door and you sit down. And, and I, I see it all the time where the question begins or gets to the point where the, the attorney's asking the panel or, or asking a, a panel member, so could you be fair? Well, you know what? Nobody is going to tell you that they can't be fair. That's not, that, that person doesn't exist. Everybody's going to be fair. They think they're a fair person. Everybody wants to be fair. They are fair. They can be fair. Or can you follow the law? Well, number one, they don't know what it is, right? They haven't been told what it is. But I don't think you're getting anywhere asking people whether or not they can be fair. You need to phrase it a different way. Another important thing is when, and we're kind of getting into the third thing, and that is challenging for cause. And, and you know, that's the third main goal of Vordire that you and I were talking about. And, and I think where you start there is find out in your jurisdiction, whether there's case law or whether there's a statute, the exact language. Read it. Know the law. Know what the threshold is, what you need that juror to say, what that, what that panel at the juror needs to say to get themselves off that case. There's a statute on it in Missouri. I think it's, uh, I got a, you got a copy of it here, Eric. It's uh, 494470. It's challenges for cause. And the very first paragraph says, no witness or person summoned as a witness in any cause, no person who has formed or expressed an opinion concerning the matter or any material fact in controversy in any case that may influence the judgment of such person. Now think about that. That doesn't say you can't follow the law. That doesn't say anything about being fair or not being fair. It's a very low standard, which it should be. I mean, there's plenty of people. We're not running out of jurors. And if somebody has strong feelings about some fact in the case, they, they shouldn't be on the, on, on the case, in, in, in my opinion. I mean, it's not my opinion. It's what the statute says. Anyone who's formed or expressed an opinion concerning the matter or any material fact in controversy that may influence their judgment. That's it. Could that influence your judgment in this case? And if you can't say no, then they, they probably shouldn't be on the, on the panel. Now, you know, and again, re rehabilitation, you work hard to get people to be open, honest, candid, give their, their feelings. And then you get to the point where you feel like they've said enough that you, you've got a good grounds to get them off, get them off for cause. But what you don't want to happen is go back and, and, and rehabilitate 
And so you, you need to, you really need to lock them in on, on what their views and opinions are. And I think you start with good, broad, open-ended questions. And then after they've told you everything that they want to tell you about that topic, then you get into more leading type questions. And, and, and here the other thing too is a lot of people will say, well, I don't know. I'm not sure. And, and that's what you get most of the time. I think 80, 90% of the time when you ask somebody about an issue they have strong feelings about, nobody's ever going to say yes. You know, hardly ever do you get them to say, yes, I have strong feelings that would affect my judgment. Almost always they're going to say, well, I, I don't know. And, and rightfully so. They, they, they don't know what the facts are because you can't tell them. They don't know what the law is. They haven't heard it yet. So I think the, the normal response should be, I'm not sure. I don't know. Well, in, in that case... If, if they can't give you a, an unqualified commitment at that point, I think that should be enough to get them off of your panel. It might seem dramatic to have the standard be that, that low for, for having people be impartial, but if you don't have 12 people who can approach the case with an open mind, what do you have? There, there's not a trial. Justice is not served at all to have people not being able to commit that they'll keep an open mind, listen to the facts, and follow the law. So that's, that's why it's there. That's, that's why this is so important. So I, I think those are the main three goals. I think when you're, when you're thinking about doing a voir dire, then we're talking about 10,000-foot view here. Overall, number one, establish credibility. Number two, condition. Use it for, as an opportunity to condition the jury on bad issues for you and, and, to, and good issues to a lesser extent, I think. And three, Figure out who the, the bad people are for you who just uh, are not going to give you an award no matter what the evidence is, and, and try your best to get them off. Try to, your best to get them off. Perhaps the, uh, the footnote to all that is you aren't going to control the, the uh, environment. It's, it's too complex, too much going on. So if you're going to try to go in and control it, you get frustrated. So I guess enjoy the ride. It's kind of like surfing. You just, you just do your best under, under the circumstances, gather your information, listen closely, and just take it for what it is. So you can't do better than you can do. Yeah, and be, be ready for anything. Just let your guard down and be yourself and let, let people talk. Let people talk. So that's part one of Vordire. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back with more. I'm Eric Veith. And this is John Simon. We'll see you next time. John and Eric would like to hear from you. They invite you to email your comments and suggestions to comments at thejuryisout.law. To learn more about the dedicated trial lawyers of the Simon Law Firm, visit simonlawpc.com.